Welcome to another episode of Behind the Blazer. In this episode, our host, Scott Sempier, discusses the history, mission, and vision of Opera Philadelphia with chorus master, conductor, and music administrator, Elizabeth Braden. He also takes time out of the interview to speak to a special guest, 2022 emerging artist, Cara Goodrich. Enjoy! Blazers, the official podcast of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. We've been singing in Philadelphia and all around the globe for over 50 years. As America's ambassadors of song, we have had many fantastic experiences, traveling to many different countries and meeting amazingly talented and wonderful people. The great leadership and high standards of the choir have allowed us to have these opportunities. This podcast, Behind the Blazer, is designed to introduce you to the Philadelphia Boys Choir culture. Season 2, in particular, highlights some of the many partners we have had in the Philadelphia region who have joined us to help create even more excellent music. Two former competitors, the Philadelphia Lyric Opera Company and the Philadelphia Grand Opera Company, merged to establish the Opera Company of Philadelphia in 1975. Through the merger, the Opera Company of Philadelphia became Philadelphia's only company producing Grand Opera. After entertaining the region for 38 years under the merged name, the organization rebranded and became Opera Philadelphia in 2013. Opera Philadelphia contributes to the rich culture of Philadelphia's music and arts, performing operas from over 60 different composers in a multitude of languages throughout its history. I have the pleasure of sitting here with Elizabeth Braden, Course Master and Music Administrator of Opera Philadelphia. Welcome and thank you for coming. Thanks so much for having me. So first off, I do want to I do want to give you an admission. I would not call myself an opera aficionado. I was introduced to opera in my late 30s. That's when I became more appreciative of it. My exposure has been to Das Rheingold, Sora Angelica, and Romeo and Juliet. How would you explain opera to novices? I would explain opera as a real collaboration of a bunch of different art forms that come together to make one exciting production. Obviously, one of the main things is singing because it's everything is sung. In general, there's no spoken word. So that's one difference between like musical theater and opera. Okay. Almost always it's song. So singing is a huge part of it, but it's not just the singing. It's the singing as storytelling and as acting. So it, you need people that can sing well, that can portray emotions and stories through their voice, but also through their bodies. You add to that an orchestra, so you mm-hmm. add a whole level of instrumental colors to the voice, color, vocal colors. Oftentimes there's a chorus, which is sort of my specialty. Okay. Many, many voices on the stage. That's sort of the basic elements. And then you add to that, everyone's in a costume, often wigs, makeup. So you have that, you have lighting, a set, often can be something simple or something really grand. So you put all of this together and it's just an amazing way to tell a story. And I think it can often be in a really emotional way. I think it can feel really something that's inaccessible. A lot of it is not in English. Right. I shouldn't say a lot. There are many operas not in English. Right. I think that often there's just so much about the emotion that comes through. And obviously with technology, you can see translations. Sure. So I think that if it feels inaccessible or if it feels very stuffy, give us a chance because we're trying very hard to make opera that's not stuffy. Exactly. That's an official term there. (laughs) Not stuffy is an official term. That sounds great. 
Yeah, from what I've experienced before, I was actually introduced and open to receiving the beauty of opera. I, I characterized it as vocal acrobatics, elaborate costumes, big bold music, and tragic endings. I don't know if that's really a fair shake for opera. Is there is there more that we should really know regarding that? I mean, I think that's a stereotype of mm-hmm. sort of, I don't want to say the worst opera productions, but things that can get a little routine and don't have a lot of care. It can feel like that sort of overdramatic. The stereotype is, you know, a woman with, a, like Bugs Bunny, right? The woman with the big helmet on her head and long braids. Oh, right. Uh, you and know, the, sort of the, the horns. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> so you imagine this and singing in a language you don't understand. And actually, I have a funny memory of being a child and a friend's father liked opera and would put it on and... As children, we would cover our ears and say, like, it's terrible. It sounds like people screaming. <laughs> but um, I think a lot of that's just a stereotype. Like, so much, if you give it a little chance or look into it or listen to something, it's really so beautiful and uh, and can be so moving. And that friend's father who exposed you to opera, was that a continual motivation or inspiration? Or was it a one-time thing and then you recollected that, that experience later? Yeah, it was really just a one-time thing. Like I remembered much later, once I became working in opera all the time mm-hmm. and became such a lover of it, I remembered that being a child. Okay. How do singers learn the control that they use to be able to control their voices and their breathing and all of that? How does that develop? Many, many years of practice. A lot of it is just learning really good technique, starting as sometimes as young as high school or even younger, although people certainly come to discover their voices later in life sometimes. I think usually the most important thing is to have a really good teacher who can teach you good technique so that you don't overuse your voice, you don't get tired. I mean, if you think of like where we perform in the Academy of Music, it's huge. It seats about 2,500 people. And opera singers don't use microphones. Their voice naturally can fill the whole hall. So you really have to work a lot with your technique and your breath. So you need a good teacher. You need good coaches, the people that play piano and sort of keep you to task so that you can stay healthy with your voice so that you can have a long career and, and be really... It's hard to convey what's so great about music, the emotion and the feelings, if you you need that technique underneath so that then you can get to the important part of sort of making music. Sure. And just like I expect that opera is hard to convey the experience of it if you're not there alive. Would you say that's accurate or... I would equate it to if you, whatever genre of music you like, you know, mm-hmm. rock, rap, whatever. Um, if you go to a live concert, it's going to be one kind of experience. But when you listen to it at home or on your phone with your AirPods, you're still going to have an amazing experience of loving the music. And I would say opera is the same. Obviously, when you see it live, you see it, not just hear it. Right. Um, but the great operas really almost can stand alone just musically. So you can put on a recording of a great opera and I think just be transported away by the music, even without seeing the story unfold before your eyes. What is something that's unique about Opera Philadelphia? What differentiates Opera Philadelphia from other opera companies? I would say one of the things that we really have embraced over last many years is really promoting new works. We certainly do lots of traditional opera favorites, uh, La Boheme, Carmen, Magic Flute, lots of familiar titles. 
but we have commissioned a lot of works. We oh, have wow. done new works. And, and I think that's a really important part of what we do, of our identity sure. and sort of our mission is mm. to lift up what already exists and continue to produce it in beautiful and exciting ways, but also bring along the next generation of composers to give them a chance to, to add to the operatic canon with brand new works. That's tremendous. How, how do you find people who are qualified to write operas? We have a wonderful artistic department, and we actually have a director of new works, and one of her main jobs is to identify composers, along with many of my colleagues. It's certainly happening at many other opera companies, and so we're not alone in okay. seeking out composers and encouraging young composers. We've had a composer-in-residence program where sort of help people grow into composing opera because at the core of it, it is music but as i said before when you add all the other elements mm -hmm. so you want to find composers who want to make beautiful music but understand it's going to be on a stage with all these other elements happening and, right. and sort of how does that affect the musical that you want to write or the story that you want to tell it's, it's like you're not just passively receiving the new music you're actively involving yourselves opera philadelphia in this new music generation. And that's that's really awesome. So considering your rich history and all that Opera Philadelphia is, how do you continue to meet such a high standard, not just with the performances and the singing and whatnot, but also with these new composers and, and the new operas? I think that's just one of our goals as a company is to always present top quality work. So I have colleagues who are always looking for new singers to bring to the stage or singers who have sung other places, but not yet in Philadelphia. So it's partly finding singers to take the roles on the stage. I work hard to find good people to join the chorus so that we have excellent singers there. The same for the orchestra. It's seeking out good directors and also having a really good staff, a good core of people who have really high values, artistic values and production values, mm -hmm. and want to see that in everything that we produce, partly just because we want everything we do to be excellent. But we know that the more we strive for that, the more likely we're going to reach people in the audience with what we're offering and have opera and music touch them in some way, which I think is what we're always trying to do. Imagine the Philadelphia Boys Choir singing with an opera company. Your imagination is about to be realized as we share this clip from our collaboration with not just any opera company, but Opera Philadelphia. Enjoy this piece from La Boheme. <laughs> We are so happy to be able to connect with such talented musicians and singers. What a treat it is to work with Opera Philadelphia. And now, back to the interview with Elizabeth Braden from Opera Philadelphia. Obviously, you've had some challenges as well, just having existed for as long as you have, Opera Philadelphia. 
What challenges have you faced as a company and how do you overcome these challenges? Obviously, one of the most recent challenges is COVID. <laughs> so right. that's yeah. been a real struggle, as every arts organization knows, as every sure. organization knows. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I don't know. You can talk about that or if that's Absolutely. Okay, separate. Right. Yeah, so COVID's obviously been a huge challenge. I think singing was one of the things early on that mm-hmm. was identified as a quote-unquote super spreader. Right. And so a lot of fear was attached to the idea of singing, and that's the core of opera. So that was a scary proposition. How do we make art safely? Right. Because at a time like this, there's no more important time to have art, right? When we're experiencing this like sadness and fear and just everything that we've been through over these last two years. So that was a huge challenge. And some of it, we turned to digital. We could do things in smaller groups, lots of testing, lots of getting vaccinations, lots of masks, singing in masks. People are doing, I think no one would have thought it was possible, but we just did a whole concert in the Verizon Hall with the entire chorus singing Stravinsky's Oedipus Rex with masks on because it seemed the only way to do it safely. And it worked. So, I mean, that was a huge challenge to get through these last two years, but it also allowed us to do some things we hadn't done before. So I think that's a good thing about our company is that when we do find challenges, we try to face the challenges and then figure out how can we learn from that and how can we do something else? Now we have an Opera Philadelphia channel with digital offerings, um, some of which are filmed productions we've done, but many are newly created things that we were able to film in the last year or two. Right. So in that way, it was a challenge that the sort of end product was something great. I mean, sort of beyond COVID, I think any challenges that exist in the world, it Mm -hmm. comes onto the arts. So if the country is having an economic issues and crises Hmm. people spend less money or you know it can affect the arts so you're constantly like how can you produce art which costs money we need money to produce art how can you produce art if there's less and how do you get people in it's a lot of things to try to balance and i'm sure we don't get it all right but we try really hard (laughs) to, to do things well and with care sure they say that art imitates life and life imitates art and i'm just wondering is there potentially even an opera that is set either set in a pandemic or is there one that maybe you're commissioning just to be in COVID? As far as I know, we haven't commissioned one yet. I'm sure one will come about. It makes me think of I've been watching uh, Station Eleven on HBO, which also is like about a pandemic, but was written before, and it's just so relevant. No, I mean, the closest thing was we just did, I mentioned we did Stravinsky's Oedipus Rex, and the sort of story of that is there in the town of Thebes and the, a plague has besieged them and what are they going to do to get out of it? Okay. Of course, they just had to get rid of Oedipus because of all the things he had done. I don't, I don't know that getting rid of COVID is so easy. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I think you're right. I think that the, the issues that it brought to the front in a lot of people's lives, I think especially artists, like, what am I doing? What do I want to do? What art do I want to produce? And right. I wonder if those kind of themes of sort of what's really important will start to permeate the music that's written, you know, in the next couple of years. You mentioned about your YouTube channel. Uh, you have over 60 videos that have been posted in the last two years. You've gotten critical acclaim from the New York Times saying one of the great treasures of the pandemic has been Opera Philadelphia's digital shorts. The Observer said some of the most satisfying opera to emerge from the U.S. during quarantine is from Opera Philadelphia. So obviously you've been very successful with these videos. Is that something that you're going to continue post-pandemic? And, and how have you, you know, responded to this, to this acclaim? 
Yeah, I think we're really grateful that the things we've produced on video, some of which, most of which were produced specifically for our channel. And also as an aside, it's kind of cool that we have our own Opera Philadelphia channel. Like when I turn on my TV, I see my Netflix app, my, you know, Hulu, HBO, and there's my Opera Philadelphia channel that I can click <laughs> on. So it does make us feel as if we're in good company. We're it's really excited that people have come to it and have found some of the things we've done, digital um, commissions, which are usually short works, often written for sort of what we call pandemic forces, which is one singer, one instrumentalist, or things that could be recorded so it would feel really safe to do. Okay. We also produced and we actually did a chorus concert. We went into churches in different neighborhoods of Philadelphia. Wow. Churches are very big, so we could spread out. We sang sure. with masks. Um, that was really exciting. But yeah, I think we're going to continue. Um, I think this coming season, we're going to have a few more digital commissions to add in. Mm -hmm. Now that we have so many things, we're also interested in how do you take the film and now create community around it. So maybe we'll take them off of the channel and into a theater and actually watch together so that we can uh, enjoy this sort of digital art that we've created, but not lose the sense of community that comes when you experience art together. Yeah, and obviously having a YouTube channel means that you're accessible, not just in this region or in the country, but internationally. Do you feel as though the channel has raised awareness about Opera Philadelphia internationally as well? I do. It's not actually not a YouTube channel. Oh, it's, it's its not. own. It's called operaphila.tv. Oh, wow. To, I have to check. I think it's operafilla.tv. So you can find it on a computer. You can download the app for it on any sort of on your phone, on a TV. We do have many things on YouTube. Okay. So we have a YouTube channel, which has lots of promotional things and clips from things in the past. But most of our digital offerings are actually on our separate Opera Philadelphia channel. Wonderful. Thanks for the clarification. Yeah. I appreciate that. So have you had any international recognition for this? Or do you feel like you're expanding your brand? I do think so. We recently had a, a discussion in which they shared that we broadcast Oedipus Rex because it was during the Omicron surge. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. obviously many people came to the theater, but many just couldn't. And they were able to say that while many people in the area viewed it, it was viewed around the country and that there were people in other countries tuning into which is kind of an amazing thing to think that yeah. in that case, it was especially it was a live performance right. um, sort of live streamed and watched all over the world. And that's something that couldn't happen without the technology, without the channel. So absolutely, it's a really amazing sort of side effect of, yeah. of what we've had to do. That's really great. All right. I'm going to move into Opera Philadelphia's mission. You have a threefold mission. First, it's delivering outstanding productions of traditional and new repertoire that engage our public and propel our genre forward. So we've talked a bit about this. I was going to ask you what, what contemporary new repertoire has Opera Philadelphia performed. Actually, I could ask you that because you didn't say specifically. So can you call out some of the operas that you've done that are contemporary? Yeah, absolutely. I thought of a... We, we've done several works that are co-productions. So they've been produced by several companies and then produced around. Uh, one of those that comes to mind is Cold Mountain, okay. which was by Philadelphia composer Jennifer Higdon. Many people may know the book or the movie Cold Mountain. It's the mm. same story. Okay. And that was a wonderful, it had a chorus orchestra, a, a lot of soloists, a beautiful set, sort of set in the Civil War era. And, and so that was a really amazing experience. We didn't do the world premiere. I think we did the East Coast premiere. Okay. But I think sometimes it's really important that works get more than one 
showing at the beginning to get some life. So that was one that was, I think, really special. Another one was called Breaking the Waves by Missy Mazzoli. And that was, we premiered in the fall of 2017. Also sort of based on a film of the same name. That was done in the Kimmel Center's smaller theater, the Perlman. So that was something we produced that was for a smaller, sort of more intimate theater. I think it held about 600 people. And that was a really, really exciting thing to be part of. It was the first performance ever. It was just, we had a wonderful director. The composer was amazing. That's, you know, wonderful female composer, which I was very excited about. Sure. So that was just something that felt like this is really pretty, pretty amazing, this thing mm-hmm. that we're that we're doing. And that, that opera's had a lot of life after, which is also great. And one that's very special to me is called The Wake World. And I had the privilege to conduct that. Usually as chorus master, I rehearse the chorus. Right. And once they know the music, I turn mm-hmm. them over to the conductor. And he or she, usually he, unfortunately, but he or she (laughs) takes over. But in The Wake World, which was also commissioned by Opera Philadelphia by composer David Hertzberg, I conducted that. And we performed that at the barns over on the parkway. So that was really great to go out to the city and be in a completely different space. And I think that really shows how we sort of try to push the boundaries of Mm -hmm. what is opera. It was a small ensemble, but a chorus and soloists. And we did it in a big open space in the barns. Right. But it was really exciting. I'm very lucky that this is a big part of what Opera Philadelphia does. I I love being part of the new works. It's great. That's awesome. You did talk about musicals being different from operas, but I just, you know, one of the more successful musicals recently, of course, is Hamilton. And I think about how that's got so many different styles of music. What's the difference there? And could it be considered an opera or not? I think you would not consider it an opera. I think that the two sort of biggest things to separate music theater and opera would be that, like I said, there's almost never spoken dialogue mm-hmm. in opera. There's certainly right. acceptance. The magic flute has dialogue. It's just the way Mozart wrote it hundreds sure. of years ago. <laughs> um, it does happen. But in general, it's sung. Older operas by Rossini or Mozart often have what we call recitative, which is sort of sung dialogue. So you'll have like, they'll sing very, very fast Mm -hmm. and get a whole lot of the story out. And then there's an aria, which sort of stops and explains the emotions and and what's happening. So, so usually no spoken dialogue, which obviously music theater has a lot of dialogue to help propel the story and, and to tell, to tell what's happening. I think the other biggest thing is that there's no amplification in opera almost never certainly there are operas which use recorded music which use different electric guitar or various things so it's not that we never use amplification but in general Mm -hmm. you're hearing just natural sound from the singers the chorus and the orchestra whereas musical theater especially on broadway is all amplified okay the singers sing in microphones the orchestra in the pit is amplified so i think those are the biggest differences i mean i understand that the idea of the bending of the genre in terms of the music itself Mm -hmm. you could make an opera that sounds like what people may think sounds like music theater and you could certainly have music theater that feels like operatic but i think when it sort of has those separations of amplification and spoken dialogue or not those are sort of two ways you can categorize all right. Well, thank you again for your patience and for <laughs> teaching me that. No, that's, that's great. Like, well, and I, it made me think of like Sweeney Todd by mm-hmm. um, Stephen Sondheim. That's produced in opera houses, but also produced in music theaters. So there's a great example of a piece that 
it does have dialogue, but it can be produced as an opera. So you're not wrong. It's I mean, it, we just like bend bend the rules around and sort of you know stretch a little bit, and sure. so it's not hard and fast. You can never have this, but those are sort of generalizations, I would say. That's fair, especially you know if you're speaking to people like me who are not as well educated. It's good to have that line and boundary. Second part of your mission statement says identifying extraordinary artists and both established and emerging and providing opportunities for them to create their most imaginative and inspired work. You've talked about what that looks like. Can you tell us about a case where somebody might have come through Opera Philadelphia and really just spread their wings through through what they've done with you? We have had what we call an emerging artist program, and it's young artists. Sometimes they've been from Curtis or AVA, organizations mm-hmm. that train singers right here in Philadelphia, sometimes not. And so we've had singers that come through that, and they'll do small roles, they get to do recitals, but then later they come back and do full roles in the opera. Mm-hmm. We've had a, we've had a wonderful opportunity of having lots of young singers come through sure. and then come back and do right. and do main main roles. I think our music director Carrara Rivaras loves to work with young singers and singers who are tackling roles for the first time. So I would say that's one of the things that that really helps with that mission statement is that we have a music director so interested in in helping younger singers mm-hmm. or singers coming through to do a role for the first time and give them a safe place to do it, but also a place that's really respected. It's a large house. It's right. a great way to, to sort of get your feet wet in a new opera role for the first time. One of the people that I know who's, by the time this airs, will have been part of Opera Philadelphia is Cara Goodrich. Would you like to speak to what she's going to do or will have done by the time this airs? Yeah, absolutely. Carr's a great example of someone who's sort of come through the opera on one level and has ended up at a very other level. She sang in the chorus with us. I know her mother, uh, named Carol, has sung in the chorus with me for many years, still sings. And when Cara came home from grad school, her mom said, if you need a soprano, she's actually better than me. So (laughs) I did need a soprano. So I hired Cara and she sang in the chorus for Carmen. And after that, she didn't sing in the chorus anymore. She left us to go pursue her solo career studying at AVA, Mm -hmm. where she had a lot of success. This past year, she was an emerging artist at Opera Philadelphia. And then now in this coming season, she's going to sing one of the lead roles in La Boheme. And so it's really exciting to someone that I know and just Mm -hmm. adore because she's a wonderful singer and a wonderful person, but really came through, like did the chorus, did emerging artists, and now she's going to take the stage as sort of one of the soloists. So one of the lead roles in in an amazing opera, one of the ones that the, you know, the boys choir is going to be involved in as well. So it's really a great full circle moment to see someone succeed like that. Right. It's, really it's not only her success, but it's also your success as Opera Philadelphia and that you are realizing this mission of expanding and, and helping people emerge and expanding your, your reach to mm-hmm. people in the area. And that's that's really. Generous. No, absolutely. It's you know, there's many more examples, but that's that's a perfect one to mention for, for this coming upcoming season. Our host, Scott Sempier, caught up with Cara Goodrich to discuss her experiences with Opera Philadelphia. Here's a bit of their conversation. Can you tell us what Opera Philadelphia has meant to you and your career? I am so grateful to Opera Philadelphia, for starters. Philadelphia is my hometown, and growing up in a musical household with two opera singers as parents, Opera Philadelphia has been my home base 
since I was five years old or yeah. younger, actually. My mom was pregnant with me, and she was in a production of Eugene Onyegin oh, wow. with Opera Philadelphia. And they had her baby shower in the dressing room there at the academy, and <laughs> it really feels like home. And so now coming back there after going away and spending some years at school and pursuing this career, I come home, and they are once again right there and so supportive. And I'm just so grateful that they are including me in this amazing company that that they're growing to be and so I'm very grateful to them and I'm really excited for all of the stuff that's coming up. Yeah, you've had lots of different roles and you're kind of growing in your roles in Opera Philadelphia. Yes. 2022, I am an emerging artist with Opera Philadelphia. So basically that means that I sing on events for their patrons, a recital, and there's five of us, five young ladies, and which makes it difficult for programming, right? <laughs> for duets and such, there's not a whole lot of repertoire for five women, but, oh, right. yeah, but we're doing a great program with Grant Lunig, and he put that together, and it's wonderful, and singing Countess Ciprano in Rigoletto, and then I'm really excited that I can announce this. I will be joining Opera Philadelphia to make my debut there as Mimi in La Boheme. Right. That's April of next year, right? April of 2023. That's exciting. That's really awesome. When I heard that, I was like, oh, that's so cool. I'm, I'm excited for you. Thank you. Anytime that I even talk about it, I have to pinch myself to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> is this real? So, yeah, very excited. That's excellent. From what I understand from what Liz has said about Opera Philadelphia is that they really embrace the up and coming and they try to help emerging opera stars, but they also try to create a lot of their own things. How have you seen this in action in Opera Philadelphia? You know, I've always thought that the casting director, Michael Eberhardt, he does such an amazing job of not only creating a really diverse cast, but also including a lot of young singers. and. It's not something that you see everywhere, and so I'm really proud of Opera Philadelphia for embracing the new and upcoming talent. And it's the best of both worlds because not only are they getting this amazing, amazing artist who's coming in from fresh out of another program, but then the patrons at Opera Philly and the people, the loyal opera goers, they get to follow that person and say, well, I got to see that person when. Right. And yeah, and I've seen even just this past month, I saw the production of Lilacs and Oedipus Rex that they did in 2022. It was their first thing back after the long haul of COVID. And right. one of the women that I went to grad school with were the same age. She was singing Acosta. And I was just so proud to see another young woman up there killing it. <laughs> so yeah, props awesome. to them for trusting the young talent and giving us a break to get out there because it is difficult to make that bridge between young artists and main stage artists. And so it really is really wonderful that they're facilitating that. Thank you. Is there anything else you think you want to include about either Opera Philadelphia or the Philadelphia Boys Choir? Well, I should say that I love Liz with my whole heart and Liz has touched my life in so many different ways, uh, whether it was she brought me back into Opera Philly after I got back from grad school. I sang in the chorus of a production, uh, I think it was in 2019, I could be wrong. And then 
She actually brought me to her church job at Wallingford. That church has now become a huge part of my life. And so I'm always grateful for Liz introducing me to those people in that community. And so, yeah, Opera Philly has not only helped with my career, but the people there have also brought a lot of wonderful things into my life in other areas as well. Yes, and the boy choir. So my now husband is very, very good friends with Jeff. And he was in the boy choir for his whole childhood, and he even was in the chorale as an adult, and then he was on the board, so he has really deep roots in the choir. Alfred did some work for the choir, mixing and mastering a piece, and then in return they sang a couple numbers at our wedding. Oh, that's awesome. It was really special. And they did Holy, and they did the Circle of Life. Very cool. People still talk about it. It was the highlight, for sure. That's wonderful. <laughs> That's really great. It's great to have those connections and to, you know, be introduced to so many different opportunities. And I should mention that my mother is still a chorus member in Opera Philadelphia. <laughs> wow. That's a, a few decades now, or at least a couple, because she was pregnant with you. So Exactly. Yep. So when I told her about the La Boheme contract for 2023, I asked her, so do you think you're going to want to be in the chorus or just attend? And she kind of looked at me for, well, what do you want? Of course, I thought you be in the chorus. It'll be way more fun to have you there. <laughs> That's great. It's great that you can connect with your mom in that way. And uh, I expect, you know, that reinforces the bonds and you can experience so much more together that way. Exactly. Well, thanks, Scott. Thank you. If you haven't heard her yet, you can follow Cara Goodrich's career moving forward. Having spent the past season as an emerging artist with Opera Philadelphia, she has a return role for 2023 season of La Boheme. She is one of many rising stars which has enjoyed success with the Philadelphia Opera as Elizabeth Braden mentioned. And now we transition from talking to a woman who married PBC alum to discuss the Philadelphia Boys Choir's continued collaboration with Opera Philadelphia. Justin Hopkins has worked with Opera Philadelphia. Justin sang in the chorus with me at oh, Opera wow. Philadelphia. That's great. Um, sort of before he went to Europe and right. had this amazing career. So regarding that too, sometimes Opera Philadelphia does work with the Philadelphia Boys Choir. And that's, that's why we've invited you to be on Behind the Blazer. Because there is this collaboration, this, this uh, engagement that you have with the Philadelphia Boys Choir. Can you tell us why the Philadelphia Boys Choir and what inspired this connection? Yeah, there are several operas that have a really good part for children's chorus. It can be boys or girls or both. Sometimes it's specified. And through our history, I think we've worked with different organizations in the city. But I believe since about 2017, we've used sort of exclusively students from the Philadelphia Boys Choir and the Girls Choir as well. Sure. And just love having them be part of our productions. Children add such an energy, mm-hmm. <laughs> as we also know as parents, right? right. <laughs> <So> <laughs> they, it's so much fun. And also, you were saying earlier on about opera and accessibility. These mm-hmm. kids come in and they love it. They get so into the music and they treat the singers almost like rock stars. I've seen so <laughs> many of them bring their programs around and they want everyone to sign the programs. Yeah. And so for us, it's wonderful. It brings, it's a great way to sort of introduce a new generation to opera and, and in the most amazing immersive way, they're literally on the stage with everybody else right. performing. So, and obviously the Philadelphia boys choir crowd is such a 
a high caliber organization that we were just so pleased every time we're able to collaborate. The kids that come are just wonderful. They have so much energy. They sing well. They're, they're acting well. They just, it's always such a pleasure. You've had exclusivity with the Philadelphia Boys Choir since 2017. What contributed to that decision to go exclusively with the Boys and Girls Choirs? Well, I think that season we had the need for two two completely different operas needed children. One was The Magic Flute, mm-hmm. which doesn't have a children's chorus, but it has three solo roles that are usually sung by children. Okay. And they're called The Three Spirits, or I think in German they're the Knaben. Um, <laughs> and so... We, we needed that, and we also had Carmen that spring, which uses a children's chorus sort of in the opening, this wonderful scene of setting the, the scene in Seville. There's children running around and people, and it's, it's just an amazing scene. And so we went to hear uh, concerts that fall the year before and just loved the sound of both the boys' choir and the girls' choir we were able to hear. And my one of my colleagues reached out to Jeff and mm-hmm. talked with him and they were interested in coming to work with us and it worked so well that year that now every time we need children, we just reach out to Jeff and say, Hey, are you guys interested? <laughs> I mean, great. I'm sure at some point, you know, luckily it's always worked out in the schedule. We've sure. able to collaborate and that's really great. Right. And we've had some great operas. We've had um, Carmen, mm-hmm. the boys and girls sang in uh, La Boheme in 2019. And one of the ones that was my favorite was Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm-hmm. I think also in 2019, and that opera, the only chorus is the children's chorus. Oh, wow. It 20 boys from the boys' choir, and four of them had solo parts as well. Wow. So they not only had to learn their solo parts, but two of them had to play recorder. <laughs> so they had to learn to play recorder, and sure. I think two of the others had, like, cymbals or something, and it's in this sort of one of the humorous scenes. But they had to really, they had to sing beautifully and they had to do these sort of choreographed things all around and they had to make a giant bed. It was really just an amazing production and they did such a great job. And that was a great for me. I really got to know a lot of the kids. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we rehearsed sort of separately and by the time we come together, we're in a room with 75 or 80 people. Right. <laughs> it sounds crazy right now in COVID, <laughs> right? But, yeah. you know, there's the adult chorus, the children's chorus, principals, staging staff, everybody. But with Midsummer, I really got to know a lot of the kids and that was a lot of fun for me. They're really... It's just great kids and so into music and it's amazing. I love it. When you collaborate with the boys choir, do you hear feedback from the audience at all? Yeah, and we certainly get feedback that we that the people, you know, they love seeing kids on the stage. They love seeing the stage just full of energy and music. It sure. really can bring a lot of joy to people. As Miss Braden just told you, we sang with the Opera Philadelphia in La Boheme in 2019. Here's another snippet of what it sounds like. Enjoy! As fun as it sounds to hear a portion of La Boheme through this podcast, it will be great for us to sing with Opera Philadelphia next time. 
Make sure you catch our collaborative efforts soon. And now we continue our Behind the Blazer interview with Opera Philadelphia's Elizabeth Braden. Now I want to ask you about yourself, your personal interest. How did you first become interested in opera? It wasn't at your friend's house and your, his, her dad, but what, what really started this journey with you in opera? I actually came to opera through choral music. Okay. Like, choral music was always a love of mine from, I sang in church choirs when I was young and all through high school. And I mean, I was a music major in college and loved singing in choirs. And that was my area of study. I actually have a degree in choral conducting okay. from Westminster Choir College. Oh, cool. And so, and I've always enjoyed anything that's chorus, church choir, community choir, and opera chorus. And mm-hmm. my first experience really with opera chorus was when I was in my early 20s and I sang in the choir at the Spoleto Festival in Spoleto, Italy. And we mostly did concerts, but we were also the chorus for the opera. And that summer we performed in Carmen, mm-hmm. which is, I think, a favorite opera of many people. And it's one of my favorite mm-hmm. because it was the first one I ever got to really perform in and be part of from beginning to end. Wow. I mean, I, I came to it through choral music, but there's just something so exciting about being in the theater, about the collaboration, just all these elements coming together. It, it can be so exciting. So when I had the opportunity to come and lead the chorus at then, the Opera Company of Philadelphia, now Opera Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. I was very interested. So very lucky that I I was able to get this job many years ago now. (laughs) But that's sort of how I came to it, through through choral music. I sort of snuck in through the back door and, you know, certainly learned a lot in my tenure there. I'm still learning. But I think because I love choral music, because I love the individual elements of the voices coming together to Mm -hmm. make sort of one sound and one cohesive, like artistic statement for Mm -hmm. lack of a better thing. And I think opera is the same. It's all these different elements coming together to make one thing that is then shared artistically. So I think I just love the idea of collaboration and community and all this together. So I loved chorus and now I love opera. It seems like it amplifies the emotion that's being portrayed in opera and to think about how you cut your teeth in opera in Italy that's that kind of is uh sounds like it's a, sort of a romantic uh, idea of of opera beginnings with you you mentioned that you transitioned into the chorus master and music administrator for opera philadelphia what were the steps along the way you went to westminster choir college you learned about opera and then was there anything in between that moment and then all of a sudden you're there in opera philadelphia I mean, I think one of the sort of connecting things was that the person who was my first conducting teacher at Westchester University, where I did my undergrad, Mm -hmm. um, right outside of Philadelphia, was Donald Nally, who many Philadelphia people know as the conductor of The Crossing. So he was really my first conducting teacher and mentor. And at the time, he was the course master at Opera Philadelphia. So also because of him being our college professor, we got to go see a bunch of operas and experience that. So I think it was through him that I even knew Chorus Master was a job. (laughs) I think before that, I didn't actually know you could get paid to do a chorus at an opera. Yeah. Uh, So that was the sort of a connection. And I worked as his assistant, not at the opera, but at the Choral Arts Society. And I think through that, got to know about the position at the opera company. And as I said, sort of knew that this job even existed. So that was sort of the connecting point of through him. And he was the conductor in Spoleto. So sort of through him, I got to know about the idea of being a chorus master and then sort of aware of opera in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And then when he left to go to other pursuits, 
I auditioned for the job, and luckily for me, I got it. <laughs> so. so you're the chorus master, but you're also the music administrator. What is the role of the music administrator? As a music administrator, it's going to sound a little funny. I help with all the administrative things. Some of that is around things like figuring out what orchestrations we're going to need. So we'll look at an opera that we're going to do, like La Boheme, and say, how many people play in the orchestra? What instruments do we need? How many people? Is there what we call a banda? A banda is a backstage group, and there is in Boheme. Oh, wow. <laughs> so some of it is that, helping with that. In that position, I also am the banda conductor. So anytime there's offstage instruments or backstage instruments in any opera, I conduct them back there. And just helping with with other sort of administrative duties. I mean, I also do all that for the chorus. So managing chorus auditions. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of contracting. There's a lot of administrative work in order to put art out, which obviously like everyone here at the Boy (laughs) Choir knows. Yeah. You lead the chorus and you do all the administrative work with the music. Do you have to also teach the choristers, the singers, the different languages that they're singing in? And if so, how do you how do you do it? All of the singers that we have in the chorus are already trained musicians. Okay. Almost all of them have at least an undergraduate degree in, in music, specializing in voice. Many of them have a master's degree. Okay. I think I have two or three that have their doctorate. Wow. So they've already done a lot of study. It's one of the wonderful things about the opera chorus. Everyone who's there already knows how to sing. They have good technique and they have to have enough language ability that they're comfortable singing in Italian, French, German. Those are the three that we mainly sing in. Sure. I mean, certainly I'll help shape the sound. There's many times when I've done the work and so I can say, no, no, let's say this word with this vowel instead of that vowel. So there's certainly a lot of shaping of that, but they have to have the basic knowledge themselves in order to, to join the chorus. Wow. So you have a really, really deep understanding of everything that's going on. You have the ear to hear all the differences, all the things that need to be changed. You have a mindset of, well, this language needs to be tweaked here and there. That's tremendous to think about all the training that you've had to be able to get to this point, too. Yeah, it's one of the things I love about what I do is that you're... There's so many levels of of the music. So if you take an opera chorus, and a lot of what we do is in Italian. So mm-hmm. you have to you have to learn the music, and then you have to learn how to pronounce the Italian, and you have to understand what the Italian means so that you know what you're saying, right. so that you know how you want to sing it. And I, I love all of that. I love sort of the behind-the-scenes work of learning the music and looking up the translations. And when I can translate a line without using my dictionary, I always feel very <laughs> proud of myself <laughs> for that achievement. But yeah, it's it's exciting. I love like sort of getting to do all those different things. And then, you know, my chorus is amazing. They're really it's full of wonderful people who love to sing and they bring all that training themselves, but they're always open to whatever direction I give. You know, sopranos were too loud or basses you're flat. Mm-hmm. So it's great. It's this wonderful sort of collaboration where yeah, I get to use all this training and have to keep training myself to so right. that I don't lose the language skills or the sure and, and to be working with people who are so highly accomplished and yet humble enough to take that direction that's it's quite a balance to be able to find people who can do that at the same time I expect that you can't get to that 
level and that height without being teachable. Yeah, I, th- I think that's absolutely true. I think it's, yeah, I think especially if you've done any kind of chorus or orchestra or band, even at any age and at any level, it's that. It's a skill you learn from that. It's why it's so important to have music at schools and organizations like the Philadelphia Boys Choir. You learn that sort of skill of how to how to get along well with others. Right. <laughs> anyway, you're going to yeah. oversimplify. But to do that and, and how to work together and how to understand that your part is very important, but mm-hmm. not any more important than anyone else. So I think a lot of the, all the singers have had that experience along the way. And so they come into it. And, and then, it, then in a way, it feels like a, the family, like the chorus is a family and we're all important and everyone has to pull their weight and do their job. And you're there to pick up the people that are having a bad day or mm. have had a cold. That sounds bad to say in COVID, right? But in normal times, <laughs> yeah. you come to work and get a cold. You know, and can't sing as well. Someone else, you know, you pick up their slack. And I find for me, it's a challenge when I hear auditions. Mm -hmm. People come in the room and you have a few minutes to hear them sing, but you also want to get a sense of of what their personality is like. So that you know, like, will they fit into this organization that we already have? And do they want to do their best with other people and not just do their best? Right. Full stop. (laughs) Right. I think that's really important. Yeah, I've I've come to realize that musical groups, choruses, choirs, operas. It's a team. It's definitely a a lot of teamwork. But I expect over the course of time, you develop a stronger bond even than a team, almost like you you have to care for each other, as you were saying, pick up where there's slack. How long do people normally stay as part of the chorus? It's interesting. Some people come and stay for a long time. There's singers that have been there longer than I have. I've been, this is my 18th season at the opera. And there's singers that have been there, you know, over 20 years. There's Mm -hmm. a few that have been singing almost 30 years. So there's people that come and stay for a really long time and just love it. Many of them have other jobs, but it's something they love. It keeps them in the arts. They love what the company does and they want to be part of it. There always are people that come through sort of if they just finished grad school, they'll sing for a year or two, and then they leave to go do other things. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a springboard towards uh, a career as a soloist. I've had people come in maybe after undergraduate, Mm -hmm. they'll sing for a year or two, they go away to grad school, then they come back to Philadelphia because it's a great place to live, and then they rejoin the chorus. So Mm -hmm. there's, I would say in any given season, there's people that have been there only a year or two, and then there's people that have been there 30 years, So which is great. It's, it gives you like there's always new blood coming in like mm-hmm. we infuse with new energy and excitement but there's people that really sort of like we know how it's done and we you know we'll welcome the new people in and I think it's one of the things that makes you know our chorus really successful and so when these people are coming in as you said you're looking for certain kinds of things about their personalities so that just makes me wonder when someone comes into audition what are you looking for I mean, the first thing is is the vocal ability. What does the voice sound like? Are they singing? Does it sound like they're singing already with the proper technique? Most people are if they've come in to this level to audition. So sort of the first level is just that vocal, sort of vocal health, vocal ability. Also the quality of the voice. Some voices are louder than others. Some are brighter than others. Some are beautiful, but won't really blend with other voices. Um, Or it might be saying, like, that's a beautiful voice, but I already have 10 other people with that beautiful voice. And so what I really need is a different voice type. So it's partially vocal ability. I always ask people to sight read, which singers hate to do (laughs) without fail. I have 
hardly ever done an audition where they say, oh, I hate sight reading or oh, I'm really bad at it. And most times they're not. So singers, don't say you're bad at it. <laughs> Just try <laughs> it. You're better than you think. But, and it's just a simple example of, I'll give them a, you know, a short line of music and ask them to sing an acapella. Like, here's the first note, here's sort of what key you're in. I just want to see how you do singing mm-hmm. a little bit by yourself. Now, we don't do that in the rehearsal, but I find it's a good, you can sort of check people's musicality in that. So those two things. And then just the way they talk. Sometimes you'll get someone comes in and they're very friendly and they sing well and they just seem happy to be there. And, you know, every once in a while you have someone come in and they sing well, but you ask them a question and they just like, they don't know what to say or they don't have an answer or, and then I feel like, "Mm, I think you have a great voice, but I need, you know, we sort of need everything. We need, we need good voice, good musicianship, and good collaborative skills to be in the chorus to sort of that in this specific arena of what we do. Right. The third part of your mission statement is presenting innovative programming relevant to the multicultural Philadelphia region that broadens and diversifies the opera audience. How do you bring in the innovative programming for multicultural Philadelphia? What does that look like in Opera Philadelphia's practice? We have a wonderful community initiatives department. And in many organizations, they might be called the education department. We've, we've sort of switched to call it community initiatives. And they reach out with a variety of different things. One thing is they have a, a teen choir they call T-Boche. And it's open for free for any teen in Philadelphia wow. that wants to sing in it. Including boys from the boys choir. Including perhaps. boys from the boys choir. Now, they're pretty busy, I know. So they might not have time for it. Actually, I think, I think T-Boche also rehearses on Saturdays, which is so, uni- a universal day. Conflict. <laughs> but in that, they try to do all kinds of music. They encourage the the students to sing or sometimes to write music or share. So that's one way is to go out and seek from, from Philadelphia schools and encourage musicianship at a younger level. I know one of the things we're trying to do is find ways to perform outside of Center City. Obviously, okay. the Academy of Music is home. Right. Sometimes we perform in the, perform in the Pearlman at mm-hmm. the... But, you know, Broad Street, Center City, that's where, right. we're, that's where we're centered. But we do try to go out and, and perform in other places. It's actually something we've done with the chorus. Last year, we went out and sang for a video we did. We sang in three different churches, one in Germantown, one in West Philadelphia, and one in Maniunk. And we really purposefully chose those organizations to go outside of Center City. And, and then we filmed in these beautiful churches. So mm-hmm. we brought our music to them. They were happy to have us. We got to showcase their buildings and we produced a whole 45 minute performance piece of music and interviews. So that's one way we try to tie in the neighborhoods and reach out to them. Now, in that case, we did just take our music. We're doing a concert in March, but we're also going to perform at a church in West Philly and we're going to perform the women from the Opera Philadelphia Chorus and the women from the church choir, and we're going to perform together. Okay. So that's another another way. We're going to sing music that's what we like to perform, choral, operatic. They're going to perform some of their church music. We're going to do some pieces together. So those are ways of, the, of like sort of community community reaching out, and how do we how do we get out into other places in the city outside of Center City? I mean, obviously, long term, I think we hope to do much more. But, but those are sort of small steps that we're that we're trying to take. Have you seen an influx of higher percentage of minorities, perhaps, in the opera, or is that still going to be a challenge at times? I think it's a challenge at times. I mean, definitely both on the audience side and on the performing side. I know it's something Opera Philadelphia is really committed to, of how can we lift up and celebrate and bring out more 
artists of color, as well as audiences? How do we reach out to to different audiences? Mm-hmm. And and how do you balance sort of like this is what we are right. with this is what we could be and we want to reach out to different people, but we still have also the mission to produce this grand opera in Broad Street. Right. And it's, right. it's, it's a challenge. I mean, it's a challenge. I know not just for Opera Philadelphia, but definitely for us as we go forward. You know, it's something we're, we're really working hard to better ourselves at. Maybe this is part of the hope, but do you have a hope for the future of Opera Philadelphia? What would it, what would it be? What would you grow into? I would hope that we, in some ways, continue on the path we're on as far as I love that we produce sort of traditional opera, mm-hmm. but also celebrate new opera. I hope that that might continue to push the boundaries of what is opera. Mm-hmm. You know, I think some of our new works, which we talked about before, I mentioned The Wake World. Mm-hmm. It had a very unique small orchestral ensemble and a big choir and just a couple of soloists. But it was opera. We did another opera called We Shall Not Be Moved. Mm. And that had a really different flavor than any other operatic music. It was in the Wilma Theater. It was a really beautiful, amazing show. So I think we can continue to push the boundaries of, of what is opera and what stories do we have to tell. How can we tell even more stories mm-hmm. and, and but continue to sort of do it at the level we've that we want to perform at and produce right. at, which is yeah. which is high caliber. That we want to want to give importance to all stories. We can keep the high level of artistic quality, and mm. but find new stories to tell and new people to tell the stories and new people to hear the stories. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the, I guess that's the crux of it. And and maybe some of that is like finding a new way to produce a traditional opera that seems much more appealing to people who don't know what opera is. And maybe some of that is finding new composers to take us out of our comfort zone and produce new opera right. that, that can be really moving if we just give it a chance and keep our minds open. Excellent. You brought some notes, and I want to open the floor <laughs> to you. Do you have anything either you'd like to ask me or that you'd like to tell us about Opera Philadelphia and all the awesome things you guys have done and continue to do? Well, a lot of my notes where I wanted to make sure I I got all the good collaborations we did with the boy <laughs> choir. And I think I, I, I mentioned many of them. I can mention, since I, I know this will come out in time, that it will be public knowledge, that we're very excited to collaborate again with uh, Philadelphia Boys Choir in our 2022-23 season. In two, two of our different productions next year involve children's chorus. One that's very exciting for me is uh, we're going to do a concert version of Carmina Burana, okay. which actually I'm sure is a piece that the boys choir has performed many times in the past with Philly Orchestra and other other organizations. We're going to bring back one of our favorite operas, La Boheme, okay. which we just did in 2019 with an amazing production that was actually one of my favorite because it involved projections of artwork oh, and cool. sort of the famous photo from that production. It The backdrop is the Van Gogh's Starry Night. Mm. And then in front of it is this whole like Cafe Momu scene with a children's chorus and the adult chorus. And it had a firewalker and someone on still and a, ba- a marching band wow. walking across. It was pure cacophony and, and pure joy. Um, <laughs> but in the spring of 2023, we're going to present it in a production that's new to us, and it's by a director named Yuval Sharon. 
And his amazing idea is to tell the story backwards. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so instead of going, you know, act one, two, three, four, we're going to go four, three, two, one. So, I mean, the story of La Boheme, it starts with the two young people fall in love. And then mm. we have this amazing scene where they're just like life in Paris as the artists at this sort of, you know, late 19th century and then you know the sort of struggle and the Mimi the lead gets sick and of course in act four she mm-hmm. dies mm-hmm. Uh, that's what you said the, that's, the, <laughs> that's the stereotype of opera sure. <laughs> someone dies at the end but I think they're going to sort of turn it on its head and tell it backwards so it starts with the idea of death mm-hmm. and of sadness but works its way backwards so that it ends not with sort of the finality of death, but ends with the hope of new love and sort of what's out there and hope, which I think is pretty amazing for where we are right now. I think yeah. it's a story we need. So we're very excited about that. I'm really excited to have the boys' car back with us. That's wonderful. Us. So, so that should be a lot of fun. Two different two different operas, and one's in the spring and is one in the fall, or when is the other one? Uh, one's in the winter. So the Carmina Burano will be in the winter. And that'll okay. just be a concert production, which is okay. great for us. It's pushes us a little outside of our bounds where it's only the musical element okay. with some lighting, but no costumes, no set. And then I think that's in February of 2023. And then in late April, early May is uh, La Boheme. So those are two things we're really looking forward to. That's great. At this point, I also want to ask you if if someone's interested in buying tickets for Opera Philadelphia or learning more or donating, what should they do? We have a great website. It's operaphila.org. On that, you can learn about what we're doing right now. You can learn about what's coming up next season. You can learn about who is in our company. You can learn about our mission. There's links there to buy tickets, to find out about group sales, all kinds of stuff. You can visit operafilla.tv. There's often something for free on that. Obviously, there's a subscription. You can rent things just like you do on, you know, like a, well, I guess not Netflix, but it's like Amazon Prime. You can go on there and say, I'd like to watch that movie of Traviata. So you can rent something to watch or you can subscribe to it. But there's usually something for free that you can watch as well. Or there's little clips of what's coming. So I would say that. And we do, if you, you can also find Opera Philadelphia on YouTube and you can Mm -hmm. find clips of, of operas in the past if you'd like to see little tidbits of what we've done over the past few years. All right. Well, I do want to say thank you to Liz Braden, Course Master and Music Administrator for Opera Philadelphia. It's truly a pleasure to have you here on Behind the Blazer, the official podcast of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. Thanks so much. Thanks, Scott. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. All right. Thank you. This episode of Behind the Blazer Season 2 features the vocal talents of Samira Abbas, Charlie Rogers, Liam Newkirk, Isaac Mendenhall, Josiah Jonakin, Harry Pfeiffer, Christian Schumann, Mark Hauck, Christopher Sempier, Jonah Serrata, and Boo Long. Thanks to all who have participated in the creation of this episode. Behind the Blazer is the official podcast of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. Please like, share, subscribe, and give a five-star review. Support our organization, the Philadelphia Boys and Girls Choirs, by donating at pbgcsings.org donate. Again, that's pbgcsings.org donate.